0: Our ministry has found a great partner with Cash App to send money and spend using the cash card while spreading our message. Try it using our code and you'll get $5 too. Check the link below and support this uh, ministry. All right. Uh, thanks, Bo and Dan, for uh, joining um, this morning. Um, Dan, you're on the West Coast, right? Yes, I am. Cool. So thanks for joining early this morning, Um I- Made this a little bit later here in uh, Georgia to get you joined in. So, um, like I said, I didn't uh, list out any particular topics, but I think there's going to be no shortage. Already in the pre-show this morning, we've uh, off to a good start here. Um, okay. My uh, my list of topics for today was mostly to gripe about uh, Barry Loudermilk, who uh, Bo Cannon who joined us this morning is running against. Um, but no, we'll continue the conversation we had already started there this morning.
1: I'd like to hear about the bottom-up. What is the chief beef with uh, with him?
0: Yeah, for me, I've lived in the district. um, We moved to this place in 2007, and uh, I believe he's been the congressman for this district ever since. And I literally am gerrymandered into the district. So it's Georgia Congressional District 11. We are across the street, literally, from Georgia Congressional District 6. And uh, if you rewind a number of years there, um, District 6 here in Georgia, uh, I think, held the record for the most expensive congressional race in the US. If you go back and might have heard the story about uh, Karen Handel versus John Ossoff. Yeah. Um, the Republicans were um, spending so much money to keep that seat, and they, you know, Karen Handel won that seat from John Ossoff. But if we fast forward a little bit, look who is Georgia's senator now: John Ossoff. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, he is uh, the other senator who is won here is, um, you know, Reverend Warnock. Um, and clearly, the Republican strategy is losing. Here in Georgia, and they know it because they are changing the voting laws, um, and, you know, as as we've seen here, to try to um, you know cheat their way uh, to uh, hold on what little ounces of power they have left. And so I've heard that
1: I've heard that Atlanta though is sort of like a, a, a oasis in the middle of a desert.
0: This is true, but you have representatives like Barry Loudermilk here in District 11. If you look at his um, uh, district that is drawn, the district actually goes all the way down into parts of Buckhead, which is part of Metro Atlanta, and then it goes up and explodes into northwest Metro Atlanta. And I, there are folks in this district that I've spoken to in the past that live down a little bit further south of me inside the district. And she, she told me one day, she says, Robert, I have, no, um, I have nothing in common with the folks that are far out in the rural part of the district. I don't understand why I am gerrymandered into this district with this congressman that doesn't return my phone calls. He's given up on doing town halls. Um, he's basically gone into hiding.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, we can thank uh, Mr. Uh, Flynn for that. Yeah,
0: um, one of the the past guys that has uh, run against uh, Barry Loudermilk, uh, Flynn Brody, um, who is now the Cobb County District Attorney. He was uh, recently elected. Um, hmm. You know, has um, you know, they they debated each other, and it was just no contest. And now you've got Barry, um, you know, doing these weekly newsletters by email. He's doing um, uh, YouTube videos in D.C. that's on full lockdown, just with him on the YouTube video. Um, you've got him doing these recorded audio clips of him talking to himself, and, he's, and he goes on Newsmax. Anytime that wow. they, you know, give him an audience, this is what he's resorted to because he is so afraid to meet with his constituents that he allegedly wanted to have their vote so bad.
1: And that's why you're running, Bo? Uh, it's one of the many reasons I'm running. <laughs> uh, so you think the demographics of the district uh, turned the interview on its head, haven't I? Uh, do you think the demographics of the district have changed enough to, to where you can uh, uh, handily beat him?
2: Um, so right now we have three people running uh, for the primary. It's myself. Uh, I'm a LGBT veteran. Uh, I've worked in aviation for 10 years. I I work 40 hours a week. Currently and then work another 80 hours on my campaign on top of that. Uh, There is Antonio Daza, who is a LGBT immigrant small business owner. Uh, He's lived in the district, I think he said, for 17 years. And then we have uh, Heather Kilpatrick, who's stating that she's the only born and raised Georgian and... She's uh, worked in healthcare her entire professional career running against him. Um, so it it gives me hope as we've got three very different candidates running for the primary and we've all made an agreement uh, to where if I win the primary nomination, the both of them are going to be coming on to my... Uh, team to work with me to unseat Barry. Uh, if one of them lose, I'll be going and working with them and volunteering for them to help them get the win. Uh, so we ha- we actually have a very unified uh, desire to unseat the 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 absent Barry <laughs> Loudermilk. It's just uh, to see right now who's who's wanted by the people.
1: Sure. Here in California, we have what's called a top two, and you can actually have Democrat running against Democrat or Republican against Republican, and uh, that makes for a very confusing politics. Mm-hmm. But I uh, wish you luck. No, thank you, sir.
0: Yeah, which part of California
1: are you in there, Dan? Southern California. Uh, I'm uh, in a suburb of uh, Los Angeles.
0: Oh, okay, gotcha yeah well l a is a uh, huge metropolitan area i've um, been out there numerous times for work and uh you you've got orange county down to the south with what their um uh, they're they're changing demographics that uh, they used they to be a pretty re- uh, they had a, a republican stronghold down there and uh they've changed democratic um yep. but then um we had a conference call at work recently i've also um driven through the area uh, north of there where a lot of the um, uh, farmers are. You've got uh, a lot of farmland in California and rural areas, but those are pretty Republican strongholds.
1: Exactly. I uh, just wrote an article for uh, a a website called uh, Conversationally Speaking, and uh, I uh, broke down the the factions of the Democratic Party. They're actually keeping it from capitalizing on the confusion generated recently with the republican party so and i talked about uh, that being the stronghold of the conservative is the uh, farm country and uh, then we've got uh the neoliberal which is like bill clinton and um who thinks it's okay to uh to match dollar for dollar with the republicans and not look at where the money is coming from and then you've got uh your moderate who don't like the fact of dark money but they're they throw up their hands not knowing what to do about it. And then you've got the progressives that were ideologues and, and we tend to uh, uh, stick to our principles over um, party.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I'd actually like to get a copy of that if you're willing to send it over. I'd like to repost that for sure. Sure,
1: I'll send it over.
0: Yeah. Um, which uh, newspaper does it happen to go into?
1: It's going to go into, like I said, a website. It's a website magazine called Conversationally Speaking, and they have uh, uh, analysis and op-eds from around the world.
0: Yeah, it's good to hear. Uh, people forget that newspapers are still published, <laughs> and um, you can write letters to the editor. i um, pretty much um, here in uh, Marietta. We have the Marietta Daily Journal, and then a further north there, Bo, there's the Cherokee Times Tribune. Is that right
2: up there? Yes.
0: Um, and yes. they're they're uh, They're both published by the same company, but um, Mary, the Daily Journal is a daily paper, and the one up there I think they do about three or four times a week. But they will publish. Um, You just have to kind of stay at them and and kind of keep a steady stream. But they they usually will publish the letters.
1: Oh. Yeah, i I publish on several sites, and I'm not sure who's actually seeing them (laughs) because we don't have any way of knowing these days. Most of the major mainstream media, though, is owned by, I think they say, six companies now. It's ridiculous. And so to break into that is really difficult. Yeah.
0: That's exactly the reason I created Peach News Now in this this podcast. Um, But some other tools that I've used in the past, there's medium.com that I've had some interesting success on. And Medium will um, give you statistics every week, and they'll tell you how many folks are viewing your stories. And then also, you know, Patreon as well, that that you can get some statistics out of that. So um, those are good tools to use. um, You know, and and if you have something that's, you know, interesting, it takes off, it, uh, you know, can be monetized potentially, which is something I'm trying to explore, so...
1: Very good. Yeah. yeah, we need more alternative media out there, and we have to hold ourselves to a, a higher standard than uh, our counterparts on the right.
0: Oh yeah, because you know, like I said, Barry, all you know, the Newsmax. Uh, it feels like he's waiting with bated breath. He's like, when is Newma- Newsmax going to call me this week so I can get on there and talk to him? Because heaven <laughs> forbid he he talked to anybody else besides them.
1: Gotcha. Oh. Um, do you have any questions for me? Oh. Um,
2: I ordered your book and I and oh, okay. sadly it hasn't gotten in yet. Um Thank you. I tried to uh get some information but uh definitely want to see your uh your view and your experience on what drove you specifically to the fact that capitalism is specifically designed to destroy the middle class because i'm I'm firmly a millennial i'm an eighty six baby, so seeing a older generation saying the same things that I've been saying for years, it's just I'm all like. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what what actually got you to this point?
1: Um, well, it, it was a circuitous route because uh, uh, I ran for um, – I was a, a union president, and I saw that uh, the membership was 65-35, 65 Democrat, 35 Republican. We we had a lot of uh, strong and vocal Republicans in the union local. They didn't realize that they were – uh, fighting uh, against their own best interests. And uh, after I left office, I ran for uh, state political office, state assembly. And um, one thing I noticed um, in both times that I ran, in 2008 and 2013, uh, I ran against uh, a, Democrat, uh, a Democrat staffer for, uh, for the uh, congressman in the area. And um, both times they took all the air out of the room and they took all the money out of the room, too. So what I saw was that uh, the status quo will do anything to keep itself in power. And, um, and that's what turned me into a progressive. And one case, I um, went to the state uh, convention, and they had already awarded one of these staffers uh, the endorsement uh, from my district. And uh, another uh, one of my opponents and I got together, and we went and got enough signatures to have it uh, brought to the floor the next day of the convention to rediscuss the issue and um, typically uh, people are, who are in the district tend to just rubber stamp what's already been done because they figure their people have, have made their decision um, but we brought to the floor We um, first my opponent went and he talked about how we weren't even given a chance to, to vie for the uh, endorsement and then uh, his side uh, the, the staffer had uh, all sorts of um, elected officials getting up and speaking on his behalf saying that people have spoken, people of this district want this guy to be endorsed and then I got up and I talked about it being about the, the big guy against the little guy and uh, then they took it to a vote and we had to keep watching to make sure that we didn't lose our quorum because it was on a Sunday and people had uh, flights back to whatever town they were from and um, we actually won. We, we prevailed in the endorsement went open so a couple of days later, I went to my um, delegates meeting for the uh, Los Angeles County Federation of Labor, the local central labor council, and uh, I was a delegate to that body, so I was able to stay in the room while they debated the issue. And uh, one of my supporters uh, tried to get them to go open also, and uh, it was determined that um, that I needed, uh, I think it was uh, a margin of 20 and three-quarters people to, to uh, vote my way. And we got 20, so we thought we won. And then uh, the guy who was uh, leading the count uh, said, no, you still need three-quarters of a person, so you failed. So it was all meant to be a fatal complete. It was, they were going to endorse him no matter what. But the interesting thing is that guy that uh, denied me uh, justice at the uh, labor meeting uh, is now head of the California Democratic State Party. Oh. Great. So things have a way of coming around and biting you in the butt.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So I ran for, uh, recently I ran for uh, uh, the vice chair, Southern California vice chair of the Progressive Caucus. and uh, But they have, uh, the incumbents had a lot of name recognition and they've been playing this game of gotcha with uh, the head of the state party because he took a, he had signed a pledge saying that he would not take money from uh, um, uh, fossil fuel companies and he took a $300,000 check from a company called Semper Energy. So we called him on it and uh, he said, uh, uh, no, that's, that, that's not really uh, what they are. And, and so he disputed the whole thing and, and then he won re-election. So uh, where does that leave us? Kind of out in the wilderness. And that's in that article I wrote also. Because in Nevada, the uh, progressives did take over the party. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and, until money is removed from politics, it's going to be like this. You know, people will continue Mm -hmm. to say, well, you know, uh, uh, we need third and fourth parties. And and we need, you know, all all these others. But uh, there are no perfect candidates, unfortunately.
1: No, No, there's really not. not. Even that Bernie came close.
0: Yeah, and until we can get this money out of politics, you, you, you've got to get on one side of the fence or the other.
1: Right. And, and part of that uh, is over uh, Citizens United saying that uh, a corporation is a person.
2: Yeah. Well, we We also need to overhaul Senate and Congress because there's no reason that the District of Columbia has no representation in Congress and Senate, but they have just as many people as North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming put together.
1: Yeah, and from what I understand, uh, the, that did pass in the House, and they're waiting to see what happens with the Senate.
2: Because the numbers yeah, but
1: with, you know, with the
2: Senate down. being a 50-50, I, it's going to come back down to... Kamala Harris. Right. And Joe Manchin.
1: hmm yep. Oh yeah, Joe Manchin. We can't leave for that, uh, Alec, can we?
0: He he's just sitting he, back and, you know, uh shaking his head and uh, who who would have known that Joe Manchin of all people has replaced Mitch McConnell as the most powerful person in the Senate.
1: Yeah, I'm sure Mitch isn't Yeah but uh that's that's probably why I became a progressive, and I saw that um uh there's something about capitalism where uh, if you if you lay off a whole bunch of people your stock goes and shoots up through the roof there's something wrong with that whole concept its it's morally re- reprehensible and yeah so I, that was a problem i also uh i broke it down with uh, disney uh the disney company because uh my notes are here on Disney. Um, Disney is an example of capitalism run wild. Um, they make $9 billion in profit, $400 million for their CEO, a one-day adult ticket to Disneyland runs from either $97 to 124 The cheapest two-day ticket is 220 for a child, 235 for an adult. That's $455 mm-hmm. just to get in the door. And these are going to yeah. get hungry and thirsty, and everywhere you turn, there's souvenirs, churros, ice cream, soda—you name it. So um, th- there are 10 parks. They have five cruise ships, with so a total of 370 cruises that start at 12.50 a ticket. Uh, they have the movies, including the Star Wars franchise, and all their hotels, the cable channels, the, the merchandise. I mean, how, how many kids do you know that don't have a Mickey Mouse doll? Yeah. And then, and then they were paying their. They found that 73% of Disney employees reported that they weren't able to pay for such basic expenses as rent, food, and gas. So Bernie went down there and shamed them into raising the salaries to $15 an hour over three years, and uh, that's a 36% increase. So uh, I was glad that he did that, and uh, I've talked to some of the employees down there, and uh, they're very happy with the way things turn out. There. But back in 2015... Uh, Walt Disney World laid off 200 IT workers and turned around and replaced them with workers on H-1B visas. So uh, they're they're willing to do anything in the name of uh, capitalism. And uh, so my premise is that capitalism is is basically evil. It's not like electricity and fire that could be good or bad. It's got some parts of it that uh, that don't belong in a uh, progressive society. I'll oh, get off my phonebox though. No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it it's it's ridiculous. I've I've been in so many. I I don't want to use the word debate because nothing on Twitter is a debate. Um, it, it's oh, a bunch right. of people getting in their fields and attacking other people because for some reason in America we've put all of our Identity into the political party we're in or into the fact that we're progressive or liberal or conservative or Christian or non-Christian. We, we no longer see people as multifaceted, multidimensional things. We just people see people as labeled. And I've, I've sat here and gone. So you're mad at government and the Biden administration for ensuring that people who can't go to work because of a global pandemic, you're, you're, you're just sitting here saying that people are just staying home and not going to work at mom-and-pop stores and restaurants because you're seeing Wendy's and McDonald's shutting down because they have no staff. McDonald's isn't a mom-and-pop store. Burger King isn't a mom and pop store in the United States. We pay, I think on average, 5.85 maybe 6 dollars for a Whopper for Burger King to pay their employees a poverty wage when in other countries like Denmark and other European countries their employees are getting paid 20 dollars an hour and they're paying 450 on average for a, the same burger but yet oh well these government handouts are keeping people from working i'm like no it's crappy work hours crappy wages and ungrateful demanding customers that are keeping people coming back to these jobs not $2,500 over three stimulus checks in almost a year and a half of a global pandemic
1: Yeah, we're, that are keeping people out of jobs. There's enough money there, to, you're right, to uh, yeah. to justify what's going on. So um, I know when I was in Australia a couple of years ago, uh, I was amazed that they don't tip there. it's because they pay their people enough money to get by. Mm-hmm. I think we need to do that, too. It's only going to add pennies on the dollar to pay your workers a decent wage. Yeah, and
2: I I don't know when it happened or where it happened, but for some reason, Joey Bag of Donuts, who works in an office and makes $30,000 a year because the CEO he works for takes home 500% more than what he does an hour uh, somehow has been conditioned to think, oh, one lucky day I can become a millionaire. No, you're one bad day of missing work away from being a homeless person, not yeah. one lucky day away from being a billionaire. This, <laughs> why Why do you think you're going to be a billionaire when – you don't even bring home $30,000 after taxes.
1: Yeah, there's, there's been a myth sold to a lot of us. And, and unfortunately, uh, that's one of the things that we have to overcome because how do you burst a, a bubble on a, on a myth that you, that you believe deep in your heart is true? And, uh, yeah, the, the whole Horatio Alger story uh that uh, people think that... Uh, all I have to do is pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and I'm going to be a millionaire one of these days. And uh, that's that's why my subtitle of my book is 25 Ways the System is Rigged Against You because people need mm-hmm. to understand all the obstacles that they have in the way that have been put there by the uh, wealthy and powerful to keep you from getting uh, into their exclusive club. Yeah.
0: So, apparently, um, Barry left D.C. this week. So, I, uh, my so-called representative, you know, that, that uh, Bo's running, I guess, he sends out a weekly newsletter, and I, mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier that uh, Barry was so busy on YouTube and lockdown D.C. You know, making videos, but he actually was married at a diner this week, and he was with um, Kevin McCarthy. So, Kevin McCarthy came down to Georgia too, because they're so worried about losing georgia that's probably why
1: McCarthy oh, yeah. came down here yeah.
0: so they were at Marietta Diner, so um Marietta Diner is kind of a hodgepodge. You probably have all walks of life that come through this diner it's open twenty four seven and they i don't think I think the only time they closed during the pandemic was when they were forced to, but they did mm-hmm. this whole renovation. Uh, to do, like, drive-through and take-out orders um, to Mm -hmm. repurpose and make sure that they didn't have to close. But the place is busy almost 24-7. And... Um, they, uh, they do dabble in politics. They have allowed the politicians to put signs out in front of the business, and they do put you know signs for both parties um, to kind of give them you know, some credit on both sides. But they did uh, allow Barry and uh, Kevin McCarthy to actually put a podium up in Mary a Diner. This is the picture I'm looking at. I can't quite see what's on the podium, but they gave Barry a microphone at Mary the Diner this week, unfortunately. And um, they're still griping about um, uh, Atlanta's loss of the All-Star game. So so this one-day game that doesn't count for anything in baseball, uh, the players don't even play their best because it doesn't count for anything. It's just a big old game for people to come out, clap their hands, drink beer, and do whatever. And basically, the Republicans shot themselves in the foot over this
1: mm-hmm. with this
0: horrendous bill they put out in Georgia to try to hold on to any ounce of power they have left here. But no, of course, if you ask any Republican, it's all the Democrats' fault that this game is not oh, going course. to Colorado. Oh, interesting. So the, 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 the one... Sorry, go ahead. I was
1: just saying that it's... Uh... Amazing how petty they can be. Yeah.
0: yeah. That so that this is what he decides to leave DC and come back to his district and take to the podium at a busy restaurant and gripe about. Huh.
2: Mm-hmm. Let, let's let's focus on one day sport event that may have brought in four hundred million dollars in hotel rooms, travel, souvenirs and let's let's bemoan losing that money but encourage denying the rights of our black and brown communities who are consistently being shot and targeted by a corrupt policing agency to completely have to deal every day with watching the government that was built on their backs do everything that they can to take away their rights for.
1: Yeah, I understand that. Believe me, I grew up in Texas and we saw the same thing there. When, they, uh, when LBJ changed uh, things, so that we actually had separate schools when I was a kid. And I remember uh, going into sixth grade, and all of a sudden we had African-Americans uh, going to school with us. And uh, the white folks in town did not like that at all because now they had nobody to look down on. <laughs> yeah. So well, uh, there's so much of that we have to change. I mean, you guys had George Wallace, too. Yeah. Well, well there, it, Sorry.
2: No, I was just going to say, there, there's still people who look down on it uh I actually got into a almost physical altercation with my father the last time I visited him because he had the audacity to look me in my face and say that desegregation was the worst thing that happened to the blacks and I just at that point I wasn't even I'm like you know what I'm done I'm leaving I you raised me to be compassionate sincere and care about my fellow humans, and you're going to look me in the face and say that you have to overthink everything you want to say because of cancel culture and how as we give more rights to other people, it takes away rights from you. No, just because we're giving rights to people doesn't remove rights from you.
1: Mm. At... Yeah, that whole thing I was talking about where um, they don't have anybody to look down on because all of a sudden they're equal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, in, in the town I grew up in, it was 4,500 people, and, and uh, we lived in what they called N Town, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and to them, it was just another word, and I, I, I never got that concept. <laughs> I guess if you grow up that way, that that feels normal to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking. Yeah. Well, Go well, ahead. speaking of of growing up this way, um, if you look at, um, the 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 history a couple of years ago, um, Tom Graves, who is the guy that resigned for or decided to retire from Congress, and that paved the way for uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene to run and find her a district up in 14, which is just northwest of our district here in Georgia, Um, Mm -hmm. there's a little-known story that um, uh, Travis Loudermilk, the son of Barry Loudermilk, they were um, on a Saturday night in downtown Atlanta, and allegedly their um, uh, um, SUV got broken into. But what was more interesting is that... um, what these folks allegedly stole out of the um, SUV. Now, this is Tom Graves, who was the former congressional uh, representative for District 14. It was uh, his congressional ID, bank cards, a checkbook, passport, Social Security papers, a missing ID, a Glock 17 pistol. He couldn't recall the model. um, And a Bible. (laughs) Jesus Um, Now, I don't know who runs around with the likes of... Oh, excuse me. There was also a laptop, credit cards, and birth certificates.
1: Oh, yeah. Who runs around with that kind of stuff?
0: Uh, Drug
2: runners. Yep.
1: Yeah. The only
2: time I've run around with anything like that is when I'm getting hired on to a, a new job, and I literally just have... I my more important identification on me for onboarding and security clearance issues than having it in a vehicle at all times. Yeah, the only
1: time I'm looking stuff like that is when I'm traveling out of the country.
0: Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I, I I just wanted to be a fly on the wall when, when this happened. I, I was just kind of picturing oh, yeah. myself as a fly on the wall. They're, they're in some sort of swanky restaurant in downtown Atlanta. They come back to the SUV. Allegedly, again, I'm not going to, you know, anybody can find the story here, but allegedly they find the SUV has been broken into, and then I think they start thinking, wait a minute, I think I guess we gotta call the cops. I guess number one because his congressional ID was stolen, and then they started thinking, Oh, wait a minute, there was a gun in the vehicle too? <laughs> and so I guess we gotta call the cops and take care I mean,
2: of sense gun law, my friend.
1: Yep.
0: But these are the people that are elected officials.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean you know
1: what Oh, go ahead. Sorry. When I was in high school, I uh, was in something called Domestic Exchange Club, and we uh, went uh, to Georgia, to Thomasville, Georgia, for a week. And uh, I I met Lester Maddox, and uh, I think Lester was a a real good example of what things were like back then in 1973. And um, I, I take. um, a lot of hope from the fact that, uh, you have people like Bo running nowadays who actually stands a chance of, of uh, getting it elected because, uh, it shows how much Georgia has changed over the year. And so uh, I wish you all the best of luck in, in getting those uh, voting laws overturned and, and, uh, you know, putting somebody progressive in, in that seat.
2: Yeah, hopefully. Luckily, uh, we have, uh, Sergeant Flowers running in 14 against Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't think he'll uh, sway to death threats like the Democratic candidate from the last election would. Um, huh. And he's run, He's raised, I think, almost a million dollars in the two months he's been wow. a candidate. That's a
1: nice piece of change.
2: Yeah, when, when everyone in the nation hates your opponent, it's real easy to get donations, and I'm sitting here right next door going, well, Barry enables all of her bullshit, and but he's real good at staying out of the spotlight and staying hidden. So, yeah, yeah she,
1: she's a loose candidate, isn't
2: she? Yeah,
0: she is. Yeah and, and, Bo
2: Bart yeah, and both.
0: Yeah, and Bo, you have a better chance statistically of winning than mm-hmm. the folks running against Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie won with 85% of the vote. Barry won with 60%
1: of the vote. Yes. Where's the Democratic Party on this?
2: Um, so for District 11, for the Democratic Party as a whole we are tier two. So um, for this election cycle, the Democratic Party as a whole wants to change the seat, but it's not tier one like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Mitch McConnell's seat would be. Um, mm-hmm. But they really can't do anything until after the primary since we have three people running in the primary,
1: Yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah. well, they're, that's... That hmm? they're very practical that way. They 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 uh, hold back until uh, almost all is lost, and sometimes that's uh, they're vacillating or, or holding back like that can actually uh, uh, hurt your chances because uh, they haven't uh, picked somebody that they're going to back and. And put in early money because um, that can make mm-hmm. the difference right
2: there. Yeah, and the uh, the primary is not until May of next year. I'm like, why why is the primary not until May? When it when that's six months, you you really can't get any traction if it is a hard hard primary between three or four people, and the the person who won the primary got say, 35% of the vote because there's the three candidates. Yeah. That, that's that's everyone being split. You would think that they would want to have the primary in December of the year prior or January, so you have it almost a year of a single candidate running against the incumbent.
1: Okay. So where do you see your base of support? Um. I am
2: very I'm not the standard democrat uh I'm 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 very much a forward progress not a left progress person um I'll I'll be comp- completely honest uh a good <laughs> section of my campaign is ran off of spite uh so if if the Republican party wants to sit and scream in American citizens faces in foreign nationalists faces that America is the greatest country on the planet, well, we better make America the greatest country. <laughs> we better be number one in education, number one in health care, number one in uh, infant survivability, number one in quality of life, number one in the average financial wealth of the middle class. There's no reason why America should rank 15th to 20th out of all industrialized countries when it comes to education. There's no reason why we should have some of the lowest uh, health rates in the world. So I'm my platform is very spiteful in that sense, but it's very much we we have to stop. Allowing corporate greed to dictate what laws we make um, i I have suffered in my life. I've been homeless. I have had to decide between working overtime to make rent or going to the doctor or to the dentist for a tooth that's been broke for two months because I don't have dental or health insurance because I'm a contractor and contractors are seen as less than human in corporate America. So I, my platform, my beliefs, my view on politics is very much I have suffered in my life, so I don't want anyone else to suffer the way I have. And I sit here and see Republicans and conservatives go, well, I suffered, so everyone else should suffer as much or, if not, more than what I suffered.
1: Yeah. So where does the LGBTQ uh, Q, um, uh, crowd come in on this? Because there's two good LGBTQ candidates. So have they um, uh, gotten behind either one of you? Not that I've seen.
2: Uh, I've reached out to the Stonewall uh, Caucus. I've reached out to the Young LGB Caucus uh from what the district leadership has been telling us, is a lot of a lot of uh, Democratic Party caucuses will not back a candidate until after the primary, um, because they have to offer equal support to every candidate, until the people have decided on who they want. Um, I don't know where Mr. Daza is on the LGBT spectrum, Um, but I am pansexual. I am also polyamorous. Uh, So I fit within the LGBT community quite firmly. I'm also an outlier in the fact that I'm very progressive, very open-minded, in a very conservative industry that is aviation. Um, I I actually will be starting work for Lockheed Martin here within probably the next month because I'm still working full-time because I can't afford to not work full-time in America and run for Congress at the same time. Um, But I was talking to the woman that would be my lead, and she's all like, I'm actually super excited because you are Norse pagan. And I'm all like, why would that excite you? And she's all like, because you're not a misogynist. And that at first made me laugh really hard, and then I'm like, oh, right, this is aviation. That is actually a legitimate thing in aviation is men being very sexist and misogynic and very conservative so i after laughing really hard for a minute i turned to her and i'm like i'm sorry i i don't typically get that reaction when someone says that they're excited that i'm pagan typically it's you can work well with others you're you're open to different mindsets it's not immediately to you're not a misogynist so yes I'm very much not a misogynist I'm very much uh, very much a feminist I'm very much a pro-choice no woman or no one should be involved in deciding on who should have an abortion other than the woman having it or making the decision with input from her spouse and the knowledge of a license. Medical professional, we we should not be having p- old white men who have been white men their entire lives making uh-huh. decisions on abortion rights or women's bodies. Um, I actually laughed because someone asked me my my views on abortion, and I'm all like, "Are you able to have a child? Oh, with the help of a woman, then you have no say. So, sorry, woman's body, her decision." You can express your concerns and your thoughts, but it's not your decision. It's hers. And there should not be any cis men making abortion laws in this country, especially any powered by religion.
1: And how does that play in the district? Um,
2: actually, surprisingly, with how red it was in the last election – the people I'm talking to are really excited when I say that. Um, I think the fact that I am basing my decisions on science and, hey, it is a woman's body, her decision with science and education-based information and input from her significant other Every woman is all like, yeah, and the men are like, well, what about men's desires? I'm like, you're free to express your concern to said woman, but if you're not going to pay for that child for its entire life, if you're not going to care for that child or that woman, then you don't get a say in it. I mean, yes, it's your DNA, but are you carrying that, that child for nine months? Are you, well, God said, no, no, the, no, don't throw the Bible in. The Bible in three different parts, parts says that life begins at first breath. So this six-week abortion ban based on the Bible is just Zionistic propaganda and grabs the power to control women's bodies.
1: Yep. Very good. Wow.
2: Yeah. Um I sorry, I get I get passionate about things like that, uh, as a former Christian. If if someone tries to use Christian texts as a basis for their hate, I'm like, nope, 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 been there, done that, nope, you don't get to do it. Um, and they're like, Well you're not a Christian. I'm like, Yeah, but I was. I actually almost went to seminary. So don't try to sit here and use religion. I'm not going to use my pagan religion to push laws in the United States because we're not a theocracy.
1: Very
0: mm-hmm. good. All right, so some, uh, some parting thoughts that I wanted to leave you guys with, and this is something that uh, Bo and I talked about right before we, we started recording. Um, in Georgia, we, we talked about our two new senators, uh, Ossoff and uh, Warnock. As far as I know, they only have one state office each i have to go back and double-check their website, but I only remember Purdue and Loeffler having one office in Atlanta. Why does Barry Loudermilk maintain three offices in our small district? There's one in Woodstock, one in Atlanta, one in Cartersville. So what Bo and I were talking about, um, the one that's closest to me is down in Galleria um, near the uh, the Brave Stadium now that uh, COVID is thankfully um, getting behind us and we're all getting vaccinated, is possibly using that office as a uh, place to hang out. So if Barry's not going to use it because I don't think it's being used, um, might as well start using it. We're all paying for it as taxpayers.
1: Mm-hmm. Very good. What I, did. I,
2: I looked and uh, all three offices have the exact same phone number listed. Oh, so I I'm getting the feeling that the Carterville and the Atlanta one is just for playing host to other politicians coming in and wealthy donors and not actually meeting with constituents.
1: Gotcha.
2: We'll we'll
0: see where that goes. And then the other idea, um, Bo, and you and I had talked about this, and and Dan also because you've um, been successful with uh, publishing a book and all. Um, uh, But Dan, have you heard of uh, ResistBot by chance?
1: Um, Sounds familiar, but can you elaborate?
0: Yep, so ResistBot is if anybody wants to contact their elected officials, What these guys do is make it extremely efficient for you. You can use like Facebook Messenger, text messaging, uh, all these different tools that are much easier than going out to finding the website, clicking through, trying to find the contact page, or trying to find the email address or wherever, you know, to contact your elected officials. It's a uh, a chatbot-style interaction and they'll ask you a Q&A, you know, hi, you know, welcome, who would you like to contact today? Is it the governor? Is it your elected official? Is it your senator, et cetera? And, uh, you know, you can contact that way. But one of the key questions, and I really like them for this, they say, great, we've sent your letter to your elected official. Would you like us to tweet a copy of the letter you just sent to your elected official? And that's raised some eyebrows for me. I'm like, wait a minute. This means that there is now a public record of all these letters that are going to people like Barry Loudermilk that he's basically stuffing in a drawer, shredding and ignoring. And I've done something in the past when I was with a local political group, is compiling these Because I feel, and and there was actually a guy here in one of the local uh, political Facebook groups that he, was a little bit older than us, and he um, came across a lot of these letters recently when um, it was uh, decades ago that he had saved in a file folder. And he was like, what do I do with these? I was like, actually, I'd wish you digitize them or compile them because I think there's a story to be told there. A lot of these letters, when you write to elected officials, they are stream of consciousness. They are at some point in time. They are usually influenced by news events or political events or world events. And I still feel like there's a, a story to be told. And especially you know, with these congressional races every two years, there is a political uh, advantage here that could be compiled and potentially turned into a book. Um, and I, you know, meeting with some authors like yourself, i uh, talked to uh, Tom Fishgren here locally, and uh, there's another friend of mine who's written a book. Um, I think there is a potential, um, I've got too much going on myself, but there's a potential here to compile a book. And I think the uh, the, the title, though, what was it, uh, Letters to an Absent Representative, was the, the yeah. title of the book I was thinking about.
1: Oh, okay. good, yeah. Okay. I'm just throwing okay. the we'll idea you don't find a writer to do it there, Uh, it sounds like uh, an interesting project to take on. Um, The trouble with letter writing these days is so many uh, groups have, uh, like you mentioned, there was this spot, they uh, elected officials, I've talked to some that are are friendly to us, but uh, when they get uh, the same letter that's been copied over and over and over again, uh, they they consider it one-person writing they don't uh, look at it as being uh, 200 people. So it has less effect nowadays when you do a, a, a pre-written letter than if you uh, went to all the trouble like those people did in the past to uh, put down your own thoughts and your own words.
0: But, um, Bo, did you have any thoughts on uh, that project or idea?
2: I think it was a um, great idea. Yeah, it it's definitely a great idea. Um it's definitely ResistBot has definitely made it easier for people to send stuff. Um but like what Dan said, if people are getting the same letter two hundred times, then it then becomes junk mail in their their eyes. Yeah. Um It it becomes, oh, well, I'm just getting the same thing over and over. Uh, I know personally, I was receiving two or three mailers from Warnock and ossif during the runoff, and I was just, I'm all like, I I've, uh, why am I getting 15 pieces of mail a week when I already voted for you two in the primary? I'm going to vote for you again. And then I started getting even more from Republican parties. And I'm all like, no one in this House is Republican or independent. Everyone registered very much Democrat, so why am I getting mailers, like, three a day in support of Trump? So I... Yeah. I
1: a lot of that is, uh and I think it's something that hopefully with... Uh, public financing of elections is a uh, consultant is uh, getting paid a kickback for every uh, mailer that uh, they send out. And they have a deal mm-hmm. with printers where they get something like 15% back for every uh, mailer that they send out on behalf of their uh, client.
2: Yeah. But, uh, I definitely think for your book, um, might be a good idea to put out a couple feelers and get stories from different constituents who have reached out to Barry year after year, month after month, and just nothing in return.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. We can invite him to the podcast to talk about it, too.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Or or do a... uh, there. Uh, hold on. I've, I've got to look up the name of the platform. Um, oh, no, it's Slack. It's in my Discord. Luckily, I have my phone right up, or my computer, uh, Clubhouse. So Clubhouse is a audio-only social media platform where there's open rooms, and I believe you have the ability to record. So it might be, a good idea to try and get an invite to Clubhouse to where you can set up a day to where you're in there, you're talking to different constituents, different voters, and they can just state their experience with reaching out to Barry Loudermilk. And you can just record that, and then you have an entire day of anywhere between five and maybe 500 people who pop in to give examples of being ignored, because Barry doesn't respond to anything on Twitter. He just sends out his his one-off propaganda and then lets everyone attack him and then says nothing in return. Well, let's check yeah, out it
1: sounds like, sounds like he's uh, checked out, but he hasn't left.
2: <laughs> I mean, he missed 42% of all of his votes last year and took his entire congressional salary. So, high key high key theft right there.
1: How did they justify that? There
2: there is no justification. Um, Congress specifically set up votes staggered to where they could still socially distance and still do all of their in-person votes and all of their their name votes, and everything that they do, and he still missed 42% of his votes, but yet he's taking his full congressional salary. Um, his median for missed votes is over three and a half times that of everyone else's in Congress.
1: Oh. Huh.
2: Yeah, but you yet somehow be- he stays in office.
1: Yeah, because name recognition means a lot, even if it's negative mm-hmm. name recognition. Um, I think somebody once said that uh, um, all, all public relations is good public relations because uh, it gets your name out there. Uh, you could yeah. have you looked at his record with the Consumer Protection and Financial uh, Committees that he's on. Uh,
2: I have, have a list of bio. websites pulled up of donors, of his voting history. His voting history, unless it's for tax rebates and tax cuts for wealthy, is pretty much a resounding no across the board.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, uh, I've got uh, an app on my phone called uh, Congress in Your Pocket. You can pull up anybody. It gives you uh, how to contact them. They're staff people. Uh, with phone number and uh, their uh, bio. It's really got some good information on it. Okay. Give it a mugshot. shot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, where are we in the conversation here? Um, I, I would like to help you if I can, uh, Bo. I, I can uh, put you in touch with the... Uh, local Stonewall Committee here. It's the largest in the nation. And the, the okay. president of I to be a good friend. So, I, I, I definitely you.
2: would appreciate that. Sure. Yeah.
1: Cool.
0: I probably need to wrap up here pretty soon, but um, any other parting words or thoughts here for today?
1: Can I mention my book? Sure. By all means. Can <laughs> Capitalism Kill the Middle Class? 25 Ways the System is Rigged Against You. It's available, unfortunately, on Amazon, but also Barnes & Noble and just about any other uh, uh, book-buying service that you choose to frequent, uh, it's there, and um, um, I'm always willing to come on here and talk about uh, things I I found out in in the book and the writings of the book, like the... uh, The Department of Justice uh, thing where they have, not Justice, Department of Defense, where they uh, have to uh, sell at pennies on the dollar uh, some of their uh, surplus gear. For instance, Mm my uh, LA Unified School District here uh, bought uh, something like um, 72 uh, AK-47s. They have two grenade launchers or maybe three. And uh, why does the school district need this kind of uh, material? And it's what yes. led to the militarization of our uh, law enforcement throughout the country. Mm-hmm. So Project um, 1030...
2: Is, do, you, do you have an audio book form of your book or do you have any plans to trying to make an audio book version? Uh,
1: actually, I've, I've talked to several people about that. I've got some quotes in my book because I uh, open every chapter with uh, quotes that are pertinent to that chapter. And one of the quotes I have in there, or maybe two, are from Carl Sagan, who long dead. And I had to go to his estate to get permission to print that stuff mm-hmm. in there. And they said, uh, give me permission for everything but an audio book. So I guess if I took mm-hmm. out his, uh, his quotes, then I could go ahead and, and do something like that. And uh, you're right, I've, I've been asked repeatedly to do a, a book, but... Uh, uh, I would have to be somebody other than myself because uh, I uh, have Parkinson's and, and sometimes uh, my voice fades away at the end of a sentence. So uh, I would definitely not be the right person to to do the audio book.
0: Okay. Yeah, one way um, around that I've I've done this before. Uh, Siri, um, if you get the ebook version and then okay. do the accessibility option, uh, Siri will read the book to you. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay if you can stand
2: Siri's voice. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, apparently
2: there's programs to download other other voices for Siri.
1: Yeah, for uh, St. Patrick's Day, I have an Irish female voice um, as my Siri. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I think we're all set for today. Anything else you want to get in on the episode?
1: Uh, let's see. Now. I think we talked about uh, the Powell memo before, didn't we?
0: Yes, and um, I'm okay. actually going to link back to our prior episodes from this one too. Oh, very
1: good. Okay. Yep. Yeah, cause that, that just that, that just blew my mind when I read about that, and uh, I think uh, more people know about that document. Um, I actually gutted it. I replaced the words "big business" or "business" and "capitalism" with. Uh, uh, socialism and um, and labor, and, and I created a, a totally a new. Um, I'm calling the um memo, <laughs> for obvious reasons. And I sent it to uh, the head of the FLCIO and and um, they they said, "Thank you for sending us this. Uh, keep on dreaming." So.
0: All right. Well, uh, thank you guys both for joining. We'll get this uh, published out, and um. It's a beautiful weekend here, so we're going to enjoy it. But I uh,
1: uh,
0: hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks. Talk to you soon.
1: Thank you. And I'll uh, you. that uh, article.
0: Yeah, th- appreciate it, Dan.
1: Talk to you soon. Take care, gentlemen. Bye.